In Hebrews 12, 1, in, 1 through 3, I want you to listen how the Word of God describes that you and I as believers are in a race. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, well, who are they? I'm going to tell you in a minute. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us, in the race, followers of Jesus, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance. Don't faint. Don't turn back. Don't slow down. Don't let discouragement mess you up. Let us run with endurance. That means running against opposition. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're in it. Looking unto Jesus. The author, and a good word there in the Greek is the originator and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the originator and the perfecter of our faith. Look at this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He did not enjoy it. He endured it. He had joy for what the outcome was going to be down the road. But I'll tell you one thing. He did not. The cross was not a place that he enjoyed. He endured the cross. Look at this. Despising. That's a strong word. Despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, so the Bible says that we are in a race. Now, you say, Brother Fred, who is the great cloud of witnesses that are watching us run the ways? There's no question about it. It's the Old Testament saints who started the race back when the elders in Hebrews 11.1 1 received a good report about creation. And all the way through chapter 11, it just tells us who's in that great cloud of witnesses. And it goes all the way back to the beginning. For example, in, in, in uh, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, look at what it says. No, that's... Um, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. For we, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, divide the sea from the land, and it divided. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which are invisible. All right, so back in creation... The elders got the report from the Holy Spirit that it was God who framed this world. And then it begins to give you the roll call of the sound of, uh, of the crowd of witnesses. And I want you to look, uh, I, I'm going to be coming out of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just going to tell you who some of those people who are in the crowd of witnesses are. Well, first of all, in Hebrews eleven six, and you need to underline this, 
But he says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, Brother Fred, I want to please God. You've got to live by faith. You've got to walk by faith. It's a faith life. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. <laughs> and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So we begin to read of, the, of those that are out of witnesses. First, there's Abel, who offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Then there's Enoch, who walked with God and had the testimony that he pleased God. And God took him home to be with him. Then there was Noah, who received the warning from God about the flood that was going to destroy the world. It was so wicked. And for 130 years or so, Moses, uh, Noah built that ark for the saving of his household. And then there was Abraham and Sarah. We're talking about then this, old, this crowd of witnesses who at age 100 received a word from God that they would have the son of promise by the name of Isaac. And they all believed God. It says they all believed God. They all believed God. They were all men and women of faith. Then, then there was Moses who chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to live in the pleasures of Egypt, the sin for a season. All of these were by faith. It says by faith Abraham went. By faith Enoch. By faith. And then there is um, uh, Moses. And then there are three people that were included in there that kind of uh, bothered me and then it encouraged me. You know who's in the 11th chapter of uh, Hebrews? The Bible says that they finished the race well. You know who it was? First of all, there was Rahab who was a harlot. But when the spies were coming to spy out the land, God spoke to her. She believed God. She was not disobedient. And she's in that chapter of 11. She's in the great cloud of witnesses well guess who else is there Samson well Samson ended up after he let Delilah cut his hair in, in the dungeon of the Philistines and they put out his eyes and had him grinding at the mill and that was not a picture of victory but in, in the last time that he stood before them he cried out to God and asked Lord give me more strength and he took the pillars of the temple and he killed more Philistines in his death and the, and the, and the temple came down he killed more Philistines in, in his death than he did in his life. And then, of course, guess who's in, the, in that great cloud of witnesses? Rahab and, and uh, Samson? David. David, a man after God's own heart who was not doing what God told him to do and had his eyes off the, the, the mission God had for him. And we know the story of David and Bathsheba and the death of Uriah and all that kind of stuff. But David's in there. So listen, there's a great cloud of witnesses. Stay with me. They started the race. Oh, yes. And you know what they did? At the end of the old covenant, they finished their part of the race. And you know what the Bible says? They are not complete without us unless we finish the race. Two verses in Hebrews 11, verses 38 and 39 I want you to look at what it says. Uh, of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in the deserts, mountains, and dens, and caves of the earth. All of these, now listen to me, this is everybody in chapter 11. Go back and read this cloud of witnesses, who they are. All these having obtained a good testimony through faith. 
did not receive the promise. In other words, the race wasn't finished. It was not finished. So what does it say in the next verse? All, God having provided something better for us. They had an old covenant based on the law. God gave us the new covenant based on grace. God having provided something better for us. Don't miss this. That they, the Old Testament saints, should not be made perfect apart from us. Have you ever seen a, a relay race? Say, say uh, the uh, four, uh, mile relay race. The, the first guy uh, st- starts the first leg of it, it's four legs of it, and he's running and he's running, and he's got in his hand a baton, and then he gets to the second guy, and he's running as fast as he can, reaching, and puts the baton in his hand, and then he goes around and comes back and puts the baton in the next man's hand. They hand off the baton, and then the last guy who's got the baton in his hand, he finishes the race. Listen to me, listen. The Old Testament saints said, we're not perfect without you. The church, the body of Christ, we're not complete without you. And so they handed us the baton. And now it is the church of the living God. It is the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. It is you and I who are born again believers and followers of Jesus Christ that are to finish the race. And they're counting on it. They're in heaven cheering. Keep running. Keep running. We know the outcome. And they're cheering us on. And so the, the, the body of Christ and the bird of Christ, bride of Christ, uh, us, those of us who are born again, we are the ones that God has said, now you, y'all, are to finish the race. Now, if you are born again, I mean, you've been born of the Spirit. If you're a new creation in Christ, if you've gone from darkness to light and from death to life, and Christ is your Savior and Lord, you are running the race right now. You've been running it since the day you got saved. And you'll run the race until the day you run into the arms of the Son of God. But the Hebrew writer says, listen, If you're going to run the race, there's some things you've got to do. He was very clear. I love it. I mean, it's so clear what we have to do if we're going to run the race successfully and we're going to run it and finish well. He makes it absolutely clear in the Word of God. I want you to notice, first of all here, that, that we're running the race because Jesus is the originator and the perfecter of the faith. So we're running the race because the Lord Jesus Christ made it possible for us to run the race. I got good news for you. Jesus ran the race. Oh, yeah. When he was born in the manger in Bethlehem, grew up in the carpenter's shop, at 30 years baptized by John the Baptist, raised the dead, healed the sick, Wounded the, bro- uh, heal, heal, heal the brokenhearted. Spoke truth that would set people free. Jesus, man, he ran the race. <laughs> and he ran it without blemish. And he finished well. You know what he said when he got to the end of the race? He said in John nineteen thirty, he said, it is what? Finished. finished. He said, 
And he gave up his spirit. He just then crossed the finish line. And he crossed it in absolute victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we're following someone who has already run the race and has won it without, without exception in a majestic and holy way. But you know how, what it cost him to win the race? Do you realize that when Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, and the Bible says, I want you to listen to what it says in Peter. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. What part of that do I not understand? He bore our sins in his body on the cross. And guess what? God poured out his wrath. The wrath against sin, our sin, and the sin of the world, God poured out his wrath on Jesus. You know the cup? When Jesus was on the cross, he drank the cup of the wrath of God. You say, Brother Fred, I thought the Romans crucified him. Oh, no, they couldn't have touched him unless the Father had allowed it. Oh, no, let me tell you something. The reason Jesus struggled with the cup was he knew that the wrath of God against all the sin that would ever be committed by anybody would be poured out on him on the cross. You see me, are you telling me, Brother Fred, it was the Father's wrath that Jesus endured on the cross? Oh, yes. You look in the book of Isaiah, and you'll see very clearly. It says, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we have seemed him stricken. Now listen to this. Smitten by God. Jesus was smitten on the cross by the Father. Smitten by God and afflicted. And boy, you get on down. In uh, Isaiah 53, you get down in verse 10. Now look at this. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Father to pour his wrath for your sin and mine on his son. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. You make your soul an offering for sin. It pleads the Lord to bruise him. I want to tell you something. If you'll understand, and I understand in a way that I'd never understood before, and it just stirred my spirit that Jesus was on the cross. He drank the cup of God's wrath for every one of us. He took your punishment. He took your hell. He took your separation. He drank the cup of the wrath of God. No wonder at that point on the cross he cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? So we got to understand, we have a great follower, a great leader, the captain of our salvation. And he has run the race, and he ran it well. He finished well. It was a perfect race, 
And he died on that cross for our sins. And God raised him from the dead. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And I want to tell you, the captain of our salvation won the race. And all we've got to do is keep our eyes on Jesus. If we keep our eyes on him, we'll finish well too. You know, as I think about what's running the race, it says uh, Jesus, after he finished the race, experienced the wrath of God. God accepted his sacrifice. It says that uh, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus lives in us by the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. But Jesus is at the right hand of God. And guess what? He's still involved in the race. He's still involved in it. Oh, yeah. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, it says, look what it says. But because he continues forever, he's alive and is at the right hand of the Father. He's alive and at the right hand of the Father. Because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is say, able to save completely. <clears throat> Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Now, this is why you're going to run well if you just keep your eyes on him. Since he always lives to make intercession for the saints of God. Man, you know what I'm encouraged today? Sometimes I, I get absolutely weary in the race. Do you ever get weary in the race? You get tired of fighting the devil, tired of fighting the flesh, try to fight in the world system. You, do you ever just get weary? Man, but I want to tell you something. We don't have to slow down. We don't have to back up. We don't have to quit because he ever lives. He's praying for you. Lord, you know how weary David is, or you know how weary so-and-so is, or this lady or that lady or that. Lord, you know how weary they are. And Jesus says, Lord, strengthen them, strengthen them. Lord, give them the strength to keep going. Give them the strength to keep going. Listen, I guarantee you one thing. It is a glorious thing to know that Jesus is praying for you and he's praying for me that we'll finish that race. Woo, that makes me want to shout. Because I sure need for him to pray for me because we all get weary in the race. But he said, let me tell you something. If you're going to finish the race with victory, there's some things you've got to do. And he named three. He said, you've got to lay aside every weight. And the sin which easily trips you up. And you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, it's very important that you hear this. A weight is not a sin. Because he said, now as you run, you've got to lay aside every weight. And then he said, and also the sin that easily trips you up. So the weight that is slowing so many of us down is not a sin. But it's still a very heavy weight. And it'll, it'll make you get tired real quick, spiritually, and it will sure slow you down. You know, when I, I talk about weights, I could talk about a lot of things. But there's a couple that are really, well, really three that are really on my heart. 
Uh, you know, we have to lay aside the weight of our past, of all that we were and all that we did before we were saved. You see, you didn't live like a Christian before you got saved. And God didn't expect you to. You were spiritually dead, separated from God, and without hope. Your sinful nature was on the throne of your life. And so, you know, the way we lived before we got saved, and many of us was just tragic and bad and ungodly and unholy. But let me say something to you. The reason some of you can't run the race is you've never closed the door on your past. You've never closed the door. The devil reminds you of what you did when you were 15 or 18 or 25 or 35 or 45. And he he reminds you of, of that wicked, ungodly sin and that wicked, ungodly attitude and that wicked, ungodly hurt. And he reminds you of it. And you just let him beat on you. You just let him beat on you. You need to slam the door in his face. You need to close the door on your past. Because I'm telling you, if you're saved, it is not the Holy Spirit reminding you of your past. It is the devil that's reminding you of your past. Can I ask you something? Why is it so hard for some of us to close the door on our past? You know what I think it is? I don't think we really understand the complete sufficiency of the death of Christ. We don't really understand how awesome, complete, perfect the shed blood of Jesus was on that cross. We just don't understand it. If we did, we'd close the door on it and say, I'm forgiven. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Let me give you a couple of verses. If you understand this, you'll be able to close the door on your past. Hebrews 10, 12 through 18. Now, listen, this is for you as a believer. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sin, one sacrifice for sin, no more. He sat down at the right hand of God because he was finished. And waiting that time till his enemies would be made his footstool. Boy, I love this. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. What part of that do I not understand? By his one offering, when I trusted him as my Lord and Savior, and when you trusted him as your Lord and Savior, by one offering, he perfected you forever by that one sacrifice. And it goes on and says, But the Holy Spirit witnesses to us after he had said before, This is the covenant I will make with them in those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their heart. See, when you get saved, you serve God because you want to, not because you have to. If you're under the law, you serve God because you have to. If you're under the law, you don't sin because you, you try not to sin because you have to. But when you get saved and Jesus comes to live in you, you serve God because you want to. You obey God because you want to. He says, Because this is a covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts, thank God, and in their minds, I will write them. I'm not carrying around a tablet of stone with ten commandments. The the, the commands of God, the, the, the truth of God is written in our minds and across our hearts because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it goes on and says, and he adds, do you really believe this? Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Then I don't enable you to close the door on your past. By one offering he has perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified. Thank you, Jesus. And he said, I want you to know, in the covenant of grace, what I forgive, I choose to forget. And a part of my covenant with you, who has surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. So if you are living, being beat up by the things of your past before you were saved, then you really don't understand how complete the cross is. And, and, and if you do, you will, you'll be able to close the door on the, your past. Well, one of the great verses I love on this is Psalm 103, verses 1, 11 and 12. It says, for as the heavens are high above the earth, that's real high. You know that? The other day, David was uh, preaching and giving an illustration. He said, if you jumped out of an airplane at 40,000 feet, I hope you don't jump out at 40,000 feet. It was 9,000 feet. I know you corrected it. (laughs) It says, for the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward us who fear him. As far as the east is, from the west, it never ends. You've got to go off. You can't go off into nothing. It never ends. As far as the east is from the west. So far as he removed our transgressions from us. My Lord. You're not going to run. And you're not going to run well. Unless you close the door. On your past. But there's another door that we've got to close. And and it's a difficult door. But it's a door we've got to close. It's our failure this is a weight that we got to deal with. It is our failure to receive from God the healing of past hurts, past rejections, past wounds, past scars. It is our failure to go to God on a daily basis, a regular basis, and thank Him and allow Him to heal that emotional scar, that emotional wound, that emotional heart, that emotional pain. You see, Luke 4.18 says, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. So obviously people have a broken heart. And a part of the ministry of Jesus is a part of our, uh, the name of our church. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. But I love this, to heal the brokenhearted. Oh, my God. To deliver the captives. Woo. To, proclaim liberty, to, uh, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover sight to the blind, and to lift up those who are beaten down, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Boy, I'm going to tell you something. I think emotional pain is worse than physical pain. I talk to people. And under God, I, 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 I do understand 
to some degree why they're struggling so. Why, why those past hurts and wounds just seem to keep getting open. Recently, I talked to two individuals and uh, they had the same story. And by the way, they had the same past. Both individuals, when they were about seven or eight years old, their father moved out of the home. He moved out. And he was not there. And was not there for them the rest of their life. And they talk about how that uh, they begin to get angry. And uh, they express that anger in, in the wrong ways. And both went down a road that almost took their life. But you see, I now understand a verse that I never understood. After having listened to them, I think if a father is absent from the home, literally or emotionally, he's there, but he's not there. I believe it leaves tremendous scars on the children. And you know, now I understand this verse. And uh, you may not agree with my interpretation, but that's okay. I mean, you ask the Lord to interpret it for you. I mean, I'm, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Why did God say that? Don't make your children angry. That's exactly what he says. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Do not cause them to have anger. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, when a father's absent, whether it's physically or just emotionally, guess what? He has provoked their children to wrath. And there's an anger there underneath the surface. It may not come out, especially if the father's still present in the home, but he's not really there. His career takes up all of his time. His recreation life takes up all of his time. And occasionally he'll tip his hat to his son or daughter. But they're really not a part of his life. They're really not involved. They don't know the emotion of him putting his arms around them and telling him how much he loves them and how special they are to him. And they don't realize it, but boy, there's building up inside of them an anger. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nobody can take a father's place. Nobody can. And so I said to both of these people, listen. They said, I have forgiven my father. I have. And I believe they have. But boy, I tell you what. The pain in their eyes (laughs) and the scars in their soul. It was real. And so, you know, but uh, if they're going to run the race, they got to lay that aside. They can't let it keep them from being what God wants them to be. So we got to lay aside the weight of, we got to close the door on the past. And we got to close the door on the emotional hurt and pain that came upon us. I'll tell you where we really have to live. You know, there's, there's a couple of other things. That I've, uh, well, as one other, 
And I, and I hate to talk about this because it's so sensitive. But if I ignore it, then I'm not going to obey God. I, I've seen the pain in the heart of a woman and the heart of a man. Different individuals. The husband walked off and left her. And by the way, left the kids. Or the wife locked off and left him. And then there are, by the way, some of these people have been married 25 years. I, I know of a guy that uh, pastoring a church in Winston-Salem. First of the year, he just walked off and left his wife, told the church, well, we'll get you counting. I don't want it. I think they've been married close to 30 years. I, you know, not long ago, I saw a lady who was in the foyer of our church, and she was wiping the tears out of her eyes. And I asked her what was going on. She said, well, she said, I've just been divorced. Now, I knew her husband. <laughs> 30 or 40 years they've been married. He used to talk to me all the time about Jesus and all the time about the Bible. I want to ask you a question. What happened? Did the Bible no longer become true? Did Jesus no longer become a reality in his life? I tell you, there are a lot of people who think they're saved who are going to end up in hell. You say, Brother Fred, that's pretty strong. No, I, I am telling you, I cannot imagine what it would be like for me to walk away from my wife after 60 years. God have mercy. What's in your heart that would cause you to do that? You better ask God what it is. And you better deal with it. Same thing is true of a lady that walks off and leaves her husband. There's real pain there, y'all. Don't you look self-righteously down on people who've gone through divorce because you don't know their circumstances and you don't know what they've been through. So would you just withhold your judgment and leave it to God? But it's hard to run when there's that emotional pain that's never been healed. We've got to live in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Listen to me. Jesus is talking. We all need this. We need to go every day. I got some scars and wounds from the past. I don't have any unforgiveness. But I, you still have to keep going to Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. <laughs> He said, I'm not going to condemn you. You know, I had a friend of mine who was just beaten down because of what had happened in his life. And he read that verse where Jesus said, a bruised reed I will not break. And he said, the Lord said, you're a bruised reed, but the Lord's not going to break you. You're going to make it. I love that. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, praise God, and lowly in hearts, 
and he will find rest. You will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and what? My burden is light. I've said this many times and don't take it in offense. I'm not talking about you. I'd much rather deal with Jesus than a lot of people I know. That's exactly right. I know the heart of Jesus. It's hard to run when you have a broken heart. You've got to close the door on the past. You've got to close that door on that emotional pain and scars. And I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying God is sufficient and he will help you to run the race. Well, I'm going to just touch this briefly, but we've got to lay aside the sin that easily entraps us. And, and let me tell you what, what I'm going to do here. Then I ask this question, Lord, we're saved. We're a new creation in Christ. Our old nature has been put to death. We have a new nature. We're partakers of the divine nature in Christ then why is it that it is so easily for sin to entrap us? And I got to thinking about Romans 5, 6, 5, and 6, where it said there, if we've been united together in the likeness of death, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And then he said, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, who I was and who I was in Adam was put to death. Our old man was crucified him, that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, that we should no longer be the slaves of sin. So, Lord, you tell me that the power of the sin nature has broken. And you've told me that sin shall not have dominion over me. But because I'm not under the law, but under grace. In Hebrews, in Romans 11, uh, 6, 11, and 12, it says, Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey in its, in its lust. And then he goes on in that chapter and says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under Christ. Okay. Why, if that is true, is it so easy for sin to trip us up? I mean, Jesus put to death that old sin nature. Let me tell you why. You've got three factors. Number one, you're living in a sinful world. You're living in a fallen world. You're living in a dark world. All you have to do is get up, go outside, start living in the culture in Mobile, Alabama, or living in the culture any country in the world, and you'll find that all around you there's darkness. And so to, it's so easy with the world system full of darkness. It is so easy in this world system for it to rub off on a child of God and the wickedness of the world system that we're living in, the media, every part of it, every part of it. It's so easy because of this wicked world system. And the Bible says in John, 1 John 2, don't you love the world or the things that are in the world? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. It, I tell you, it's easy to let this fallen world trip you up. And then there's the flesh. 
And, you know, the Bible says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So even though the flesh has been crucified and has been put to death, the enemy still comes along and tries to appeal to the flesh. Used used to be before we got saved, the flesh would just run to what was there. But now that we're saved, we we don't want that. And so the Bible just tells us that we've got to be careful that we don't make any provision for the flesh. And it's over in Romans 13. Verse 14, look at what it says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ every day, every day, every morning, every morning. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Hey, that's why it's easy to be tripped up by sin. We're living in a dark and wicked world. And I'm telling you, this world, this, that flesh, the enemy is going to just appeal to your flesh and if you make, and it's dead, and you don't have to. You're running from sin, not to it. But if you're not careful, he'll, he'll, you make provision for the flesh. He'll grab it, and you'll get knocked down. And, of course, there's the devil and his demons. Hey, do you think he stopped uh, attacking you when you got saved and started running the race? Oh, no. That's when he really came after you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And therefore, the Bible says, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit to God. Resist the devil. You better resist him, or you're going to get snared up on your race. You better resist him. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Well, why is it we have trouble running the race? Well, because uh, we live in a wicked, sinful world. Our flesh, even though it's dead and crucified, the world still appeals to it. And if we make provision for it, it can happen. And then, of course, the enemy. But now here, here's the main part of my message. It's the main part. Now, I know what time it is. It's uh, almost 1050. All right. But I'm going to tell you something. And this is the main part of it. And it's not going to take me about 15 minutes to do it. So relax, okay? But now here's the thing. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He said, now look, (laughs) I don't want you to be looking at your circumstance. As you run the race, look at your circumstances. Now what it says? Well, as you run the race, look at all the people around you and how they're running. And some of them aren't even running. He didn't say look at your circumstances. He didn't say look at the people around you. He didn't say keep looking back at your past. No. He said, now listen. If you're going to run and you're going to run well, you've got to keep your spiritual eyes on Jesus. You've got to keep your spiritual eyes on Jesus. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In this world, this is so difficult because we, I, we, life is so cluttered and, and so runs, moves so fast. It says, if, you were, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Be heavenly minded. Be heavenly minded. Be spiritually minded. If you were raised from the dead with Christ, if you put off the old man in Adam and you put on the new man in Jesus, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. 
No, you're not going to look at your circumstances. You're not going to look at the people around you. And you're not going to look back. You're going to look up. And you're going to set your affection on things above. It says, if you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Get your eyes on Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of God. What part of this don't we understand? Set your mind on things above. Not on things on the earth. You've got to get your eyes focused, your spiritual eyes on Jesus. Your spiritual, you know, something good happens, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Something bad happens, just keep your eyes on Jesus. You see, we've we got to keep, we got to be spiritually minded. We can't look around us. And it says here in verse 17, uh, th- this is really a part of keeping your eyes on Jesus. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. <laughs> that means you've got to have your eyes on him. Should I do this? Jesus, what do you think about it? Oh, you don't think I, you, you told me not to. Okay, I'm going to do it. Lord Jesus, let me ask you, what do you think about that? He said, that's great. It's exactly what you need to do. You see, looking unto Jesus, it says, whatever you do in word, okay, God help us close our mouth. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all. All A-L-L, all A-L-L in the name of Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, I want to give you uh, six quick examples in the Bible where people go to Jesus in their situation. The first person I want you to think about who looked to Jesus in his situation was a man named Zacchaeus. And he looked to Jesus for salvation. I'm not going to read all those scriptures. But he heard that Jesus was in coming out of Jericho. And being short of stature, he ran and climbed up in a sycamore tree uh, so that he'd be sure that he'd get his eyes on Jesus when he came down the road. So he's up in that sycamore tree. We learned all about it in Sunday school. We little, man's, we little man was he anyway. And he looked down. And deep in his heart, he said, you know, I'm a thief. I am a royal crook. I'm head of the Jericho Mafia. Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to go to your house today. Boy, the Pharisees got upset. Jesus going to eat with a sinner. And when he got there, Zacchaeus got under conviction. I don't know what Jesus said. He said, Lord, I'm going to give half of my goods uh, to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anybody, and that was a lot of people, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus repented. And you know what Jesus said today? Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. For you are a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of faith. So you need to look to Jesus for your salvation. But then you need not only to look to Jesus for your salvation, you need to look to Jesus for your healing. Boy, I love this. This is my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's in Matthew 9, 18 through 22. And, and Jesus was on the way to a man's house whose daughter had died. His daughter had died. 
And Jesus was on the way to go and raise his daughter from the dead. Well, as he went, in the crowd there was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. And so uh, we can read the scriptures that are up there. But while he spoke these things, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died. You come and lay your hands on her, and she will live. So Jesus rose and followed him and did his disciples. Suddenly a woman who had had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. And she said to himself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Boy, she was looking to Jesus for her healing. Oh, and Jesus turned around, and when he saw her and said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. See, you need to look to Jesus for your healing. God uses doctors. God uses nurses. God uses medicine. They practice medicine on us. You understand how that is? But I'll tell you one thing. The healer is the Lord Jesus Christ. He bore our sicknesses and infirmities, and by his stripes we are healed. First place you look when you're sick is you look to Jesus. And if you can get an appointment with your doctor within the next three months, go ahead and do it. But still, you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus. You say, Brother Fred, Jesus doesn't heal everybody. I know that. Well, why doesn't he heal everybody? You ask him when you get to heaven. Will you ask him for me? I've been asking that question a long time. I ain't never got the answer. All I know is he said to pray for the sick. Amen? And he said that he heals the sick. That's all I need to know. So I'm going to pray for the sick. I'm not going to pray for them to die. I'm going to pray for them to get well. Oh, I love this one. You've got to look to Jesus like Zacchaeus for your salvation. You've got to look to Jesus like that woman with the issue of blood for your healing. Then you've got to look to Jesus like the father who had the demon-possessed son. I want you to look at this. In in Mark 9, verse 14, when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribe disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him and greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what what are y'all discussing with my disciples? What's going on in this crowd here? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son. Oh, he looked to Jesus for his son, for deliverance. I brought to you my son who is a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples and they could not cast it out. They, they should, that they should cast it out, but they could not do it. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the child, bring the boy to me. They brought him, and when he saw him, immediately the demonic spirit convulsed him. He fell to the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And he asked, so he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? He said, From childhood. And often he was thrown both into the fire and to the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, now listen to what he says. Jesus, if you can do anything, your disciples struck out. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Why don't you just cry out today, Lord Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on me in this situation and help me. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried 
and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that, the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit. Now listen to what Jesus did. I'm just reading what he did. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead. So that many said, he's dead. But then it says here, Jesus took his hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Hey, you look to Jesus for your salvation, for your healing, for your deliverance. You look to Jesus for your strength. John 15, 4 and 5, he said, abide in me and I will abide in you. And if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. He said, for without me, you can do nothing. So what does it mean to look unto Jesus? For your salvation, for your healing, for your deliverance, for your strength on the race. Without me, without me, you can do nothing. You look to Jesus for your hope. I love this. Just two more. This is the last two. Look, Jesus, for you. Matthew, Mark 11, 20 through 24. But in the morning as they passed by, they saw a fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Jesus answered and said to them, now listen to what he said. Peter said, that fig tree you cursed, it died. Jesus answered and said to them, well, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whoever, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. How can you believe you'll receive them? You get a word from God. Was he talking about a physical mountain? We ain't got no mountains around here. Lord have mercy, you've got to go 200 miles to find a mountain. He wasn't talking about physical. He was talking about spiritual mountains. But we got plenty of those. He said, just believe. And whatsoever you ask believing about that mountain. And you're not going to ask it unless you're sure that what God, you pray in the way God wants you to pray. Then you'll receive it. And then the last one is, uh, you got to look to Jesus for eternal life. I love this, John 11, 11. Then he said to them, then he said, after that, he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may awake him. He said that to his disciples. The disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Uh, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but he thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus coming, went and met him, and Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, now this is eternal life. Your brother will rise again. Hey, by the way, your loved one that died in Christ, I want you to listen to me. Your loved one that died in Christ, they're going to rise again. Hallelujah. They're going to rise again. And Martha said, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And this is it. The boy, this is the hope of eternal life. Glory to God. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
Praise God, eternal life. Hallelujah. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And listen to her confession of faith. She went on in the next, she said, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. You're in a race. It's an eternal race. The Old Testament saints, they finished well. Then they said, but we're not complete without y'all, the church. Y'all got to finish the race. And so I pray that you'll run well and that you'll finish well. And if you're a child of God, you're going to finish one way or another. You, you, you're going to finish. I don't want you to limp across the finish line. I don't want you. I don't want you to crawl across it. Man, I want you to run across it into the arms of Jesus. Finish well.